Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com Welcome to On the Continent, your definitive guide to the week in European football. I'm Dotson Adibayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm David Cartledge. On this edition, Germany. Just how bad are they going to be at Euro 2024? Also, are the internationals to blame for El Virus FIFA, the spate of Crocs not returning to domestic duty. And how would it affect the lead in La Liga's title race? And we're previewing a cracker of a fixture at the top of the Italian Serie A. It's the Derby d'Italia with a little more spice. So... <sighs> Andy, this gives me no pleasure whatsoever. <laughs> no, you start laughing. But Germany, Germany, Germany. Oh, my word. How is the German footballing public responding to the two defeats that we saw Germany suffer in the international break? One against Turkey and then against Austria. Well, I think we can separate like media and public response because the media response... Uh, to the, the two defeats in the last week have obviously been quite damning, especially as it's been pointed out since Julian Nagelsmann took over. There's been a steady decline after a promising first performance against the United States going back last month. Each match has been gradually worse, we, reaching the nadir of the defeat um, against Austria in, in, in Vienna. So clearly there are a lot of issues to be discussed with the team itself. But I think the notable thing about how it's been received by the public in Germany for a long time, as I was partially explaining on, on, on the ramble yesterday, there's been a real disconnection between the Germany national team and its public. If you look at the way that the World Cup was watched or not watched, really, in, in Germany. Now, it's, it's been put in a different light, of course, with this Amazon series. You know, and you can see the anatomy of a failure, if you like. And, you know, Hansi Flick um, sort of showing his his players like wildlife videos and saying, oh, I, you know, I want you to think of yourselves in terms of the animal kingdom. It looks ridiculous when you've lost. If you've won, it doesn't matter at all, does it? Or people go, oh, wow, that's visionary. But, you know, it's, it's, it's all about context. But even that was quite divorced from the public perception because it was possible, and speaking to a, a number of people in Germany, but you could have lived through the Qatar World Cup in Germany with a sense of there's not really a tournament happening, which is remarkable for a football nation of that size, of that history, of that prestige, with so many major hubs 
of footballing enthusiasm. With World Cups under their belt and all. Exactly. The fact that lots of the games, and obviously part of it was, you know, the feeling of like the World Cup shouldn't have been in Qatar. But you weren't, you didn't really have games shown on big screens in public in Hamburg, in Cologne, in Munich, which is a remarkable thing. If you think about how we as a nation and other countries like Portugal, Spain, enjoy a World Cup, everyone gets out yeah, in public no and, and, and watches it together. The fact that the German general public turned their backs on that, I think is quite remarkable and quite noteworthy. And it's something that's, that's not new. This has been happening for a while. So I think to look at Germany in a context of just results is not really the right way to look at it. Because look, it, obviously it's better for the tournament if the host nation is decent and gets at least past the groups. But, you know, I, th- I think, there, I think it would be... Is there a danger that they might not? Yeah, I think there is a danger that they might not. I mean, they, they are that bad, and we'll, we'll come to that in a minute. But in terms of, like, if you compare it to the last tournament that Germany hosted, the, the 2006 World Cup, there was this... They didn't have a great team at the time. They managed to get to the, the semi-finals. Part of that was Jurgen Klinsmann and Yogi uh, Love's coaching. But part of that was capturing a mood, capturing a moment, there being a new positivity about football in the country after a couple of fallow years and the public really enjoying it together. It's quite hard to imagine a similar atmosphere for this tournament coming up that there was in 2006. I don't think they identify with the players in that German squad. No, I don't And think I think so. that's a big, big factor. If you look back at all German sides, there was always players I think that you could connect with. I think, I mean, I think German fans could have connected with. And Nagelsmann almost touched on this, I thought, in his comments after the Austria game. And he suggested that there weren't enough players within the squad who were hard workers, grafters. There's a lot of technical stars in there. There's a lot of individual players in there who were really impressive. There's not much hard work in there. There's not much passion in there. And And it was interesting for Nagelsmann, I thought, to say that, given Nagelsmann's coaching style, you know, what he looks for in a player. Well, that's it. It's, it's kind of actually, it's quite self-critical, isn't it? It's, it's looking at himself. I think it's so. Like, do I have to be different from how I normally am to make this work? I almost think he's. It was almost a bit Mourinho-esque as well. It's Mourinho's done this before, and he's questioned, I think, the new generation of players before and their attitudes and how they are. And I think there's a little bit of that. And I think he'd love a Schweinsteiger, a closer. You know, mm-hmm. um, Oli Khan. The, these, it's a different generation. It's a, it is. It's a different generation. Different attitude. But, but that, it is. That's but, the issue. Really. That's, that's the issue. And I think it's affecting them on the pitch. And then going back to my original point, I think it's off the pitch as well. I think the German public say, "Well, why support them? There's no one. There's no one in that team who, who wants to give their all for Germany. There's no one in that team who, who, who wants to do everything they can to to make Germany, you know, great as they were." Um, and, and bring it all back. There's no one there. They, they probably look at people, I mean, look at Sané getting sent off well, as well, you know? Just, I mean, it, that, the sending off, probably was the most un-German action of a international yeah. game yeah. that I've ever seen. Because in the old days, if we're comparing the old days, I can't remember anybody getting sent off a German player for fighting the, the, unnecessarily. The of, you're right. The level of frustration there, because Zane completely overreacted and then continued like trying to go after Moeni while he was That's on the floor. Weird. That's he was, not German. It's, it's, it's unbecoming. Been... It's, it is. It's unbecoming. It's, it's a fact that it's why mm. the fans don't connect with this team. And that's why mm. there was so much pride in the old German. And look, I think it happens with clubs a lot as well, as well as national teams as well. Sometimes you just lose. you kind of like, oh, I don't really like any of the players. And you end up falling out of love and you end up falling. And I think that's what's happening. It's directly comparable to the difference between how... England fans feel particularly close to this England team and have over the last couple of years. Yeah. There is a sense of there are guys, not just they're good players, but there are yeah. guys. As, oh, Saka, as, as seems, well. Saka seems like a good lad. Yeah. Kane, just a very like you know down to earth guy as well. And so you identify and you appreciate that. And obviously mm. Southgate's been a massive factor in that well, as well. The, the Channel 4 coverage of the national team has, has lent quite heavily on that, mm-hmm. hasn't it? About getting them to do the stuff that, that we Brits do, like Countdown and the Bake Off and all, mm. all that sort of stuff. It's quite difficult to imagine that Germany team doing something similar. It doesn't seem fun. And Rudy Fuller touched on it. Of course, he was caretaker for the, the, the game against uh, France, the win over France, which has been their best win in a while. And he 
has talked before and since, during and since, about traditional German values. And he does mean all that stuff. He means not about necessarily having the best 11 players, but having that will not to be beaten and that collectivity. I think that's all really important. And Nagelsmann, as David is saying, has started to believe more and more in that. He's like, well, you know, I thought at the beginning, I just want my best players to be able to play their best. And that's normally the way, if you go in any team at international level or club level, you need to find a way to get the best out of your best players, a system that suits them. But actually, the way he's talking about it now, he's saying we shouldn't really be playing like contender football yeah, because we're not a contender to win it. We should be playing underdog football. You know, so how we played at, say, Hoffenheim. So it's it's something that is definitely in Nagelsmann because you think where he's come from before. At Hoffenheim, his tactics were built to react to the opposition. Whereas obviously it's a completely different idea when you're at Bayern. Now, I think before he might have been equating Germany to Bayern, especially as, as he had quite a few of the same players. But now he's looking at it and thinking, let's look at the strengths of the opposition and try and negate those because perhaps we haven't got a team capable enough of playing that sort of we play our game and everyone else is going to have to cope with that sort of business. So the players he's focusing on... Uh, Robert Andrich from um, from Leverkusen, who's someone who, on and off the pitch, is 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 a leader. You know, Pascal Gross is one that he's yeah. underlining. Now, one German newspaper did make the extent did make the connection that um, Nagelsmann was talking about how important Gross was and how he loved his his lack of self importance. I think was the, the way that Nagelsmann put it and all this sort of stuff. But he didn't like it enough that he actually played him for a single minute in either of these games against Turkey or Austria. But having said that, the less you're in the team, probably the better you look at the moment. That is how bad Germany are. And he hasn't got much time to sort it either. So you've got two dates in March for friendlies before the tournament actually starts. There's not much time at all to, to get things right. And I think what Andy's touching on there, I think technical players aren't going to be sacrificed as well for, for this. So everybody's dream, they'll probably say, oh, I want Sané, Nabry, Wurtz, Musiala. I want them all on the field. Gundogan. Gundogan will play no matter what. But I think some of those technical young players, there's going to be maybe two of them sacrificed. And obviously that's not going to go down well, but it might be for the betterment of the team within the tournament. But maybe the public can live with that, actually. I I think they might appreciate that a bit more as well. Um, Just before we also move on, I just want to touch on Austria as well and just how impressive they were. They were fantastic. They were great, weren't they? That's four times Nagelsmann has uh, has faced his teacher, Ranjik, now. Hasn't won once. Ranjik's won every single time. Um, And I thought Austria looked fantastic. And I read an article and made a really good point in that Austria played exactly how Germany probably want to play. A lot of high press and a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm. I had that feeling as well. You you thought, what what would they give for a... For Rani, uh, uh, yeah. What would they give for Rani? <laughs> but what would they, what would they give for uh, a Zabitzer, who is a player yeah. on, on the way back rather than at the peak of his form? Baumgartner, his, his goal was brilliant. Of course, he's still finding his feet uh, at RB Leipzig. That sort of that sort of dynamism. But also, I think you know, there's that sense of it takes a thief to catch a thief. The main I like the, that. the main yeah. players for Austria will <laughs> play the Bundesliga, <laughs> so they couldn't be more aware. Of Germany's problems. But you talk about moving star players out, David. What about sticking them at left back? <laughs> we're coming to that. We're coming we to are, that. I knew we were going to get to very, it. Very, <laughs> very crucially, a player that we'll be familiar with um, from watching the Premier League, Kai Havertz, doesn't ever seem to have found his position in the Premier League, interestingly enough, whether it's Chelsea or at Arsenal. But I don't think any of us imagined that his position would ever be left back. Um Caused a bit of a problem for Germany because he gave away a penalty as well. Against what Turkey, was the, yeah. Yeah, what was the thinking? This, in Kai yeah. Havertz, he was a centre-forward when he came over, wasn't he? Um, uh, Chelsea, as I recall. I don't know how many positions he's gone through. This poor lad, he's like a plastic bag in the wind. Do you know what I mean? He's just moved about <laughs> everywhere. There's, he's in no set position. Um, and it's quite extraordinary that we found another position for him. So there's, I think there's only three or four more positions to, uh, on the team to actually fight oh, for him. Excluding or including the goalie? And, oh, I mean, anything could happen at the moment. And, He's uh, a big lad. So yeah, yeah. And Nagelsmann loves another thing, so, so, so let's see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, I, f- I feel for him because you can find no consistency at club and now it, it appears also a country as well. Um, and 
It is. It's a shame because I think he is a really talented player, but he's really copping it this year, especially. I think. The thing is, he would love to be in the number 10 spot. Mm-hmm. And, well, Arsenal don't have that position for him. Most Premier League teams would not have that position for him. And neither do Germany, though. No, they? no, and they, 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 they don't. I mean, they're, they're not good enough to carry a number 10 yeah. at the moment. And if you had that number 10 on form, it would be Florian Verz. Absolutely. It, w- it, w- it wouldn't, wouldn't be him anyway. Who I didn't mean, play? <laughs> <laughs> but, what, but what would you do if it meant that you got a game? Because at least he was, you know, selected to play. What would you do if you were a footballer? You know, go change position? Well, you're not going to refuse your country. Yeah, exactly. You? You'll you play can't. no matter what. He said he'll play no matter what. Doesn't yeah. matter what he's asked to play he'll play Although so he's got the right mentality might end up being a liability in that respect uh, that, that, is, that is the point really isn't it because I think if you go back to Hansi Flick's last game in, in charge when they were absolutely thwacked at home by Japan in Wolfsburg you look at that and they played uh, Nico Schlotterbeck a left back um, as we've discussed before prince of a footballer definitely has a mistake or two in him as a defender which is obviously a bit perturbing seeing as he's a centre back but they stuck him out a left back again because he's left footed. First couple of goals were his fault, and he looked all over the place, and he was dropped off the back of that. And I thought, well, that's really, really harsh because he was put in a position where his weaknesses were clearly going to be exposed. Now, look, I think there's always going to be a bit of adaptation at international level because the reality is Germany simply do not have the fullbacks. I've wondered for a while especially with Antonio Rudiger, if they should be playing three at the back and working with, with wing-backs. I mean, it's all a bit yeah. late to talk about changing it about it now. Is. But like Kimmich, for example, okay, ideally you would like to play in midfield, but it's the national team, just suck it up. He might be better at right wing-back. I just think this is it's the same what happened on the, with Flick as well. Again, it was a lot of rotation, a lot of experimentation. Nagelsmann's doing the same. So you're looking at the last few years, there's no consistency, no ability to create an identity there, Germany. And that's why they look so confused and so all over the place as well. So David said they're running out of time with only two friendlies mm-hmm. before they host the European Championships. Um, given that they've lost six of their last, what is it, 13? Six. Germany, this, losing one in every two, more or less. Mm. Um, begs the question that I posed earlier on, can you imagine them not making it to the knockout stages of the championships? They've you know, I, ge- I, ge- I, genu- I genuinely could because Sim, yeah. I know people will say, oh, well, they're at home and uh, the, the uh, fans will get behind them once it actually starts. Okay, maybe. But I think it's not just about the results, in my view, Dotton. It's about the actual content of the games. And the way they have defended, not just increasingly under Nagelsmann. They, they could have lost that game in Austria, like 4 or 5 mil, but no problem. If you go back and look at the last games of Hansi Flick and a lot of the Hansi Flick era, they're so weak in defence, and that's before they've even decided who they're going to play in front of that in, in midfield. The, the sort of goals they concede, you're not going to win many games playing, playing defending like that, I don't think. No. Now, do they really call it El Virus FIFA, David? El Virus FIFA. Do they actually say that? I mean, how do you say that in Spanish? El Virus FIFA? El Virus FIFA. Oh, you do it better than me. Well but, done. Uh, yeah, they do really say it. This has been a thing for a long time. This, this stretches back to the old uh, Mourinho Pep face-offs and what have you, and when that battle between Real Madrid and Barcelona was so, so intense, those classical games were just outrageous. Um, and then if players went away on national breaks and what have you, and there's one player, two players missing from it all, it would it would all blow up um, at international football. So so yeah, it's real. Yeah, what, what is it, Andy? What is El Virus FIFA? Can you put it into um, a sentence? Is it a medical pass? Is well, it? Yeah. Well, when when players go away and get injured on international duty, in any sort of volume, i.e. more than one or two important players, uh, this is how the Spanish media reacts. So it's it's a bit of an a flawed way of looking at it, like the, the idea that uh, you know if 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 a player gets 
injured in international football. It must be the fault of international football. Of course. <laughs> but, you know, we'll, we'll come to the reasons maybe in, in, in a little Every bit. Every single coach in La Liga will tell you that. And not just La Liga, Premier League. They'll say, look... We're doing poorly because of the international fixtures. Well, it's, it's something to hide behind, I suppose, isn't it? Like, you know, criticising referees. It's, it's, it's a similar thing. But it does have to be said that some very important injuries have, have happened in this international break that really could affect the La Liga title race. Well, let's look at one or two of those. Um, the headline news is Gavi of Barcelona out for the rest of the season. That's a huge blow. And probably the Euros as well. Well... Even more importantly, yeah, thank you for pointing that out. It's a huge blow. Um, so are we ruling Barcelona out of uh, the title race then? We're not ruling them out completely. Um, look, Gavi's a big player. I think he's the energy, enthusiasm that really inspires that team. Um, and they rely upon him a lot. And if you look at Deco, uh, Deco's words this week, I think he said, look, that January market will arrive. We can't replace Gavi. He's irreplaceable. That's how much... They depend on him despite his tender years. Um, so they're in trouble trying to find a replacement for him. I think it'll come. Well, it'll have to come from in-house. Spass has got no money. There's not much room for manoeuvre there, I don't think. Um, well, they, they, do, they do get paid from FIFA in compensation yeah. for the, the, the amount of days that he misses. Mm-hmm. So, And uh, there's, there's also this exception that can be made because um, to, to their um, salary ceiling. Because it's a bit like the, um, I guess, what you call a disabled player exception in the NBA mm-hmm. or whatever. They're allowed to spend 80% of Gavi's salary on a replacement because he's out for five months. It used to be four months, but if you've got a player out for five months, you can do that. So, obviously, speculation has been uh, Giovanni Lo Celso. But regardless of the I money, think it's, I think it's, it'll be make, do and mend, won't it? It's, I think it might be Vita Rock, who they've already signed. Uh, yeah. Young Brazilian talent, very exciting player. Um, doesn't play in Gavi's position, but he's an extra body there who you can potentially get in in January um, without having to pay, you know, the transfer fee of somebody else and what have you like that. So that deal's already sorted. He'll come in maybe in January. Um, but still, this, you know, he'd have to adapt as well. This, this is a seismic blow. I think he's the... the Bass, Bass would have looked at that and said, if there's one player that we don't want to lose this international break, it's Gavi. And they've lost him now. And just sticking with the El Vira's FIFA for a moment, mm. um, he's out due to an ACL, uh, Vinicius Junior, arguably Real Madrid, have got more virus FIFAs there. Well, you look um, at the numbers. I, I mean, th- this international break just, well, they've lost uh, Vinicius Junior, they've lost uh, Eduardo Camavinga, and Camavinga... Yeah, uh, well, look at the start well, of the season. Out, yeah. Courtois, Militao at the start of the season, you know, Kepa had an injury as well. Bellingham, shoulder injury now. It's apparently 15 fit players. Chouameni broke his foot I think when this was obviously before the international break. So, you know, we've talked for ages about this Real Madrid midfield, seeing them through the next decade or whatever. We didn't imagine all three of them being injured at the, the same time. And the fact is Bellingham will, will, will come back soonish. That, that is likely. Whereas Vinicius, Camavinga, um, Courtois, not coming back before Christmas. I mean, Courtois was probably out for the, the, the entire season anyway. But to not have Vinicius and, and Camavinga and Chouameni before Christmas, it sort of flips the script a little bit because you look at it and think, is this about Real Madrid staying in the title race over the next couple of months because of the volume of key players that, that are out? And there is a lot more pressure on Bellingham all of a sudden. I mean, obviously he's been a key player for them. But maybe his role has to be adjusted as well with the players that are missing. I think Bellingham extra pressure as well, and I really think uh, Rodrigo as well. Mm. I think he's really. Well, gonna, he's going to have to play all the games, isn't gonna, he? He's going to have to play all the games. I think he was already under considerable pressure because, you know, you look at the the bar that Vinny set, and people's wanting Rodrigo to hit that, and for him to be the other star. So there's going to be a lot of pressure on him to to get goals as well. Who's likely to benefit, though, with uh, Barcelona uh, losing one of his key players, mm-hmm. Real Madrid struggling with several players out? Mm-hmm. Who's likely to benefit from that? I think I know the answer to this. Saleri. Yeah. 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 They're looking good anyway. So yeah. this, is a, this is a boost to them. Um, you know, they've got to manage their squad really well, too. Their squad's not as strong as the others, I don't think, in terms of, uh, you know, the depth and the quality that they have. But they, as a, as, as a, as a team... And with consistency, 
they are they are in a really good position at the moment. Yes, they had a little slip up, but not but they do overall look good. And I think they probably got one of the top three players in the world right now. There's probably an argument that he might be the best player in the world right now. And Antoine Griezmann. I mean, really, they need to have him sleeping in an oxygen tent. He, 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 he can't go down. No. They, they, they need him to be fit. And he could be the player who defines the league, really, couldn't he? I think so. I think it's going to be really important. I think, you know, it's a case. It's kind of battle between the stars, Bellingham and Griezmann. Um, and I think we've got the Madrid derby um, in January as well. Um, and then we've got Atleti versus Barca just before the, just before the Christmas period. So, yeah, it's... It, some important games coming up, I think. I, I uh, guess. I guess my question, off the back of these injuries, and we're talking about how Jude Bellingham and how it might affect him, mm-hmm. as well as him being expected to deliver more, and his part of the, his first part of the season has been a big part of that. It, I think it's quite a strong argument when you look at Vinicius in the first part of the season. His numbers have not leapt off the page, but anyone who's watched Real Madrid regularly knows that he draws a lot of defenders creating space for Bellingham to go into that gap. Yep. I mean, I've always thought that Bellingham's goal scoring would probably slow down at some point. Does he have to do different things for the team now? And is he going to have less players to draw fire from him? He's going to have to save himself and make sure that he's in more attacking positions, more hovering around the edge of the box. And I think his leg work is going to have to be done by Fede Valverde. Mm. So Modric, Cruz, Valverde midfield three and then Bellingham ahead of that but I think Valverde's role is going to have to be more box to box now yeah if Kroos has to play all the games is that an issue that's a problem yeah of course I mean and look at Luka Modric he's just played two 90 minute games for Croatia as well mm. is it just not a case of you know it's not a case of that those Cruz and Modric being wrapped in cotton wool and, and brought out when they're needed Needed. they're just required all the time that's, that's just the current situation at the moment that uh, Real Madrid's found themselves in so that's a big big ask and Look, there's been so many times Modric and Cruz and, and the old Real Madrid guard have been written off and then they suddenly they've just found it again. And and it might happen again, but they are at a very late stage in their career now. They've played a hurt. lot of football as it's well. It's going to hurt, isn't it, for them? Um, the El Virus FIFA, though, isn't something that's unique to La Liga, obviously. As we know about viruses, they do spread and arguably um, there won't be many leagues in Europe that haven't suffered, not least the Premier League and so on. In fact, I read a stat which is quite alarming, actually, when you consider the impact of uh, the World Cup, a Winter World Cup last year, having increased, or, well, do we know that definitively or not? But certainly there's been an increase, 15% increase in injuries amongst uh, Premier League footballers. And I imagine, again, that this is reflected in other leagues across Europe as well um, because of, you know, the unexpected introduction of a World Cup in the middle of winter, uh, uh, a winter break, as it were, a leg, an otherwise break. That is worrying, isn't it? it was, I think it was an average of eight days longer on the sidelines. Due eight to, days longer. So a study found that due to the impact of the Winter World Cup. Mm. So it's quite. It's quite eight days. I mean, we get to get, get, get three games in eight days. Can, can, <laughs> these they, days. can they definitively say that it's because of the impact of the World Cup? I, I can't I see that. that I, 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 I think you can say that it's had an influence. Certainly. Yeah. I mean, on one hand, if you look at the, not talking about the um, social legacy of the World Cup, the last World Cup, but in terms of the quality of the World Cup, I think it was the, the best World Cup in in a long time, because all the players weren't completely cooked. But then you come back from the World Cup in the middle of the season. That, that's got to be difficult. Yeah. That, that's, that's really got to be difficult. And of course, in fact, there was more football to play at the end of the season. I mean, we've talked about this time and time again. It's always pinned on international football. And certainly the way that international football is going at the moment, the way that FIFA is managed at the moment is not edging towards players, giving players time off anytime soon. You know the, the the cash cow has to to, to to keep being milked. There'll be at least one other Winter World Cup, yeah, in the firmament. Ex- exactly. And before you get to that, you know, you're looking at the ex- the possible expansion of the Club World Cup. Um, I think there's a growing sense. Well, clearly there's a growing sense of, uh, amongst like football observers that Gianni Infantino. Is, is not that bothered about player welfare. I think that's, that's pretty clear. What's been interesting in the last 
couple of international windows is that you've heard the players talking about it a little more publicly. So when you had uh, Greece versus France this this week and um, they didn't have goal line technology in Athens, so it looked like Kingsley Coman scored a winner right near the end. Um, There was no goal line technology, so it couldn't be confirmed or otherwise. And Didier Deschamps said it was unacceptable. Antoine Griezmann put it in a quite interesting way. He said, um, if they're going to make us play all these games, they might as well have the right kit. And I, I, I thought that was that was really interesting. It's it's not got to a point where players are protesting I was about to or say going it. on strike or anything like that. But it, it it almost hinted of more of an acceptance of this unreasonable load. Now he is one of those players who can probably bear that load more yeah. than normal players. But if he's feeling like that, how is the rest of football feeling? I was going to say, what's this going to culminate in? You do feel like it would be a strike, wouldn't you? Yeah. Players unionising in a way and getting together and saying, look, we're mm. not playing this tournament, we're not doing this then. Because players con- they are playing considerably um, more nowadays. Uh, I was reading, so Jude Bellingham's played, um, played 30% more minutes of competitive football by his 20th birthday than Wayne Rooney at the same age. And that's Wayne Rooney. And Wayne Rooney, as we all know, was ran to the ground as a youngster. Mm. Bellingham's thirty percent more. Um, there's another that's one. Incredible. Yeah, and I mean, we, I know we've talked about Gavi as well. Pedri, another huge um, Spanish talent as well. So by the age of twenty, he's played um, more than twelve thousand minutes. That's twenty five percent more than Xavi at the same age. I mean, is, that, is, they're just staggering numbers. I mean, is this an argument to say look at Neymar a little bit differently? Because of course there was this story in um, uh, the French media this week um, that. Not not denied. It has to be said by the guy who was club doctor of PSG at the time that Neymar turned up with a stress fracture in the fifth metatarsal of his foot, the same foot that he ended up breaking twice in his first eighteen months at at, at PSG, and it does. I think it's quite indicative of how footballs run. Mm. Like this guy that turns up, he's the most expensive player in the world. It's like, oh, well, it's only a stress fracture. He'll be fine. We've just paid 222 million for him. We, yeah. we can't give him an operation or not play or, you know, God forbid, actually I have a rest. That is exactly how they think, you know. It is. It it's is. Mad. Of course. Um, I think there's a lot, of, yeah, there's a lot of pressure from all sides, I think, and, and they will just try and play through it. But I don't know, there kind of has to be a, a moment where somebody realises or oh, the player welfare gets to an extent where it's like, right, look, I know it's a minor one, but we can fix this. You might have a duration of time before your benefit long term. This can be a lot better. We just have to do this right now. And I think we have to start looking at things like that. Otherwise, we're going we're gonna to kill these players before their careers even started. Look, I'm talking about guys who, Bellingham, Pedri, they haven't even barely started their careers. They're still 20s, early 20s. We can't be ruining them now. For just just for short term gain. The moment with Pedri was when he played the uh, the Euros and then the Olympics. Yeah, which was just insane. And, and, but the, why no one can step in, show a duty of care there. But the, the, the reality is as well, I think there, there'll probably be people listening going, I would love to play football for a job. Um, if, if I was asked to play three times a week, that'd be great. What the player thinks is not always what is best for the player. And that's why you need that duty of care. And also from the fans' perspective, the fans are paying through the nose through TV subscriptions and through tickets to get in for an increasingly inconsistent product. Because consistency is just impossible in this sort of environment for all but the superhumans. And that is an enormous problem. And it's not great for the consumer as as well as the player. Because that idea of the show has to stay on the road, no matter what sort of state the, the show's in, it's a very, very dangerous way to lead football. And look, this isn't a problem as well. That's just confined to football this is every sport now so I mean we were just chatting about NBA before we came on air it's unlike us <laughs> NBA currently going in season tournament again that's that's something fresh and new NFL they had an, they added an extra game there's still talk of playing more games as well so you go across every single sport the guys at the top are trying to get the players to do more for the same amount and this is the problem and the same amount of intensity which is In, the I, I think incre- yeah. I think increased intensity. The, the pressure, the the pressure, the level now is so so high, and what have you. I think it's yeah yeah it's increased. Selling a little or a lot. 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. There is a fixture this weekend that's going to light up every uh, football fan's itinerary, I think. Um, It's called the Derby d'Italia. The first and second uh, place teams in Serie A are meeting. Inter versus Juve, although it's the other way around. It's Interino, isn't it? So it's Juve versus Inter. It's the other way around. So I should say it like that. Huge top of the table clash, of course. Um, and no doubt from past history, it will be a cracker of a match. Um, massive, massive game. They don't get bigger than this. It's arguably, could be a title decider, this game. Um, I, I think you can make a contribution. It's, it's not going to decide anything at this stage. I think what would make it feel like a title decider is if Inter go there and win. Because... Inter had the best transfer window. They have looked like the best team in the league so far. They're top of the league. All these things are are important. What's the surprise in the Italian league so far? It's that Juventus have been as good as they are, I think. Because they are still in a strange place on and off the field. Of course, out of Europe this season, um, they were happy to take that ban to just miss a conference league season. I think it's, it's, it's fair to say. But it gives them a, a little bit of a chance to to regroup. Now, I think we see that in like little glimpses of the old Juventus. Now, you know, we talked about, David, about whether these are vintage Barcelona or Real Madrid sides mm. at the moment. And maybe this leans into what we were talking about before, about the you know gradual diminishing of the, the, the quality of the, the European product through overuse, through overexposure. But that there were little hints of old Juventus. I think people looked at Max Allegri a while back and thought, Juventus aren't going anywhere in this second spell under him. You know, his football's outdated. It's boring. It doesn't capture the imagination. Juventus have got themselves back in a spot where they're grinding out boring wins this season. And that is really important. It's also amazing for them to be able to do that. A, with key players off the books. With the Pogba problem, which, you know, obviously it hasn't worked at all. The, oh, he's the, the still second... signed to them. Exactly. <laughs> oh, my word. Exactly. But, of course, face it, facing a barely played, facing a drug ban. We'll come back to that, I'm sure. But also, I would think post that incredibly reliable defence of um, Bonucci, Chiellini, etc., etc., and post, you could argue, goal-scoring strikers. Because... Like 
Dusan Vlaovic looks like he'd sell his own grandmother for a goal at the moment. I mean, it, he just can't put the ball in the, in, in the back of the net on a consistent basis. He's been gradually worse since he signed for Juventus. Now, of course, there was all that talk in the summer of the possible Vlaovic-Lukaku swap. I'm pretty sure at the end, like Chelsea thought, well, we're pretty desperate to get rid of Lukaku, but how desperate are we to get rid of Lukaku? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do we want to take another one on? Yeah. I don't think we do. And and that's that's what happened. Because, that you know, regardless of the amount of money Chelsea are, are spending, they're looking for value. They're looking for players who can develop. And I think... Of, of course, I think when you come into this game, the fact that Federico Chiesa has had a great international break is very encouraging, A, for Juventus, and B, for the, the general spectacle of the game. But Juventus, not fun, but they are effective, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what this game is going to be for Juventus. It's not going to be fun. It's going to be a case of them grinding it out, playing on the counter. I think they're going to end up going with Chiesa and Moise Keane um, up top, really, to play on the counter. Because Inter's got to come into the game... I think they have to put their foot in the ball. They have to take it to Juventus. I don't think they can sit back against Juventus. Otherwise, it's all just going to be played sideways the whole game. So they have to take it to Juve. Juve will play on the counter. We, we, we know how it's going to go. I think anything else would be a major, major surprise. And then potentially Vlavic getting thrown on later if he can score. But Inter's coming into this with 10 more goals than Juve in the league as well, which is quite a considerable amount. And pretty much tells you about the styles of the two teams. And, you know, I know... <laughs> Andy was saying about Allegri's football being boring and outdated and what have you, and I think it still is, but it's for now it is working. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if Locatelli's fit as well. That'll be a, that'll be a big impact in this. I know he wasn't trained. I don't know if he was training alone. I think just yesterday, so he's going to be if he's missing, that'll be a one that might impact you over here. And Andy, it didn't quite say it in so many words, but you know Max Allegri having the last laugh, arguably. Mm-hmm. I wonder whether there. You've, uh, Juve are underselling themselves by claiming that they're only going for top four. They're not trying to win the league. Uh, th- that wouldn't That's go down. That's been the party line, hasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, but that wouldn't go down. I mean, think if you're a fan, thinking what? As well as we're doing, we should be aiming for the league now. And I don't doubt that they are undercover, but that's not what they're expressing in public. I, th- I think it is that both for fans and, and, and directors at the club, it's undercover, as you say, because... The reality is they, they know they're not the best squad in the league. They know they're not the best team in the league. And they've taken an absolute financial battering as well. I mean, they're still recovering, not just from the Cristiano Ronaldo deal financially, not just from missing out on the Champions League this season. For all the other players who they signed on freeze that were acclaimed as brilliant bits of business once upon a time, and they were saddled with all these huge contracts that they they couldn't get rid of. So clearing the decks has been a huge, huge part of it. And they're in this sort of financial place. Like the the, the Juventus board are meeting again this week to ratify another tranche of refinancing because they need to get another 200 million into the club to get it running smoothly. So they'll, they'll be, they'll be releasing some equity to, to do that. So I think for them to talk about it in baby steps, is, is actually sensible. I saw they were linked with that. Funnily enough, I saw they were linked with uh, Calvin Phillips this week. That's that's a leggy sign, isn't it? <laughs> He'd fit right in their mind. I, I would love to see it actually Why? happen. You know? Why? Why would he fit in? Do, well, do, do you one... think? Do you think though, Allegri probably looks at it and looks at Calvin Phillips and goes, "Oh, I used to have ten midfielders like you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I yeah. don't anymore." Yeah, let's, yeah, exactly. Let's relive the good times. I've got, I've got room for you. Paul's not coming back. Come on, there's a gap there. <laughs> <laughs> well, if Calvin Phillips fits the uh, remit, then why not? But there's a long way before we get to that. Um, in terms of this game, are we looking at Juve holding back Inter? Because you said if Inter go and get a result there, that might be a decider of a Yeah, well, I, I mean, it would be not a decider, but a huge advantage, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I think there, there would be a lot of confirmation of what people already think about how Serie A's going this season. When David talked about the the amount of goals that Inter were able to score, I think they can actually get that up a little bit as as, as well. Because I think you look at where they are, it's, it's not just the fact, if you look at the difference between the two, it's not just the fact that Juve are struggling to score goals, or Juve, Juve's forward players are struggling to score goals. They're chipping in with goals all over the pitch, Juventus, which is really impressive. And, you know, part of that... Allegri collective philosophy 
But the thing is, Inter, in, in terms of the front half of the pitch, Lautaro is having the season of his life so far. Good for him. Though yeah. what condition he comes back in from a couple of big <laughs> South American qualifiers, we'll wait and see. Marcus Turam has been brilliant so far. They've got so many options. I mean, the thing is, when you saw David enter in the Champions League last season, what really got them through those knockout rounds of the Champions League is the fact that they did have those options. The fact that they yeah. could throw on Lukaku. I think they've got better forward options now than they did last season. I think so too. And also, and anytime I watch into this, always comes over very prominent to me, um, is that they're fullbacks. I just mm. think DeMarco and Dumfries are fantastic. DeMarco is on fire. DeMarco is an unbelievable player. He yeah. really is. Um, remarkable what he does to the team. Remarkable just how the wing backs do function in that team. And I think it's, it's a big reason why they've scored so many goals because that's support they get from wide areas. But it would be a big departure for Pippo and Zaghi if he was to go on and win the league because he's been someone who's been thought of a little bit like Roberto Mancini was in the first few years of his career as a sort of a cup coach, really. Yeah. Whereas if he can actually go and win the league, and you can talk about the, the great transfer window, of course that's a part of it. But if he can manage this inter-team to win the league, that will be the next stage of his career and people will start to look at him a little differently the, as well. The, these top two uh, teams in Serie A have done so well uh, that they've managed to open up a little bit of clear blue water between them and AC Milan, who are in the third. And they've done it by not losing well. Except, except, and this is a really interesting stat, both Inter and Juve have only lost one game each this season and they've lost it to the same team. Sao Solo, how do we explain that? They're an irritant, aren't they? There's, there's, there's no getting around it. Mosquito. Sassuolo are always the future of these big teams. Yeah. So I, I think you look at their ability to breed players in this rarefied mid-table point of, of, of Serie A is, is amazing. Of course, Sassuolo had a massive influence on Italy winning Euro 2020. You know, you look at some of the, some of the players who, who came through who were important in that, uh, Locatelli, Berardi. You look at now the fact that what Inter are growing. Davide Fratesi is someone who's, who's, who's yeah. popped up and has, has had an interesting introduction. He scored in his first Milan derby, of course. He will be, he's already a big player for Italy. He will be a big player for Italy at the Euros. And he will be an increasingly good player for Inter as they, they go on the, re the rest of this season when we, we talk about that sort of depth. So I guess the real question is, when you look at Sassuolo, is not what they're doing at the moment to be the fly in the ointment for Inter and Juventus. But which of these players will end up being the stars of Inter and Juventus tomorrow? I love the way you put that. Yeah, very, very much indeed. Okay, gentlemen, it's that time where we ask you to recommend, apart from this Serie A clash between Inter and Juve, to recommend a game of the week for us. Apart from that, uh, who wants to go first? Yeah, go on in. Uh, I will go for Sunday. Uh, and there will be no rest when we're watching uh, Rennes versus Rennes on uh, four o'clock UK time um, on I Sunday like the afternoon. Alliteration. There'll be no rest when we watch Rennes versus. You see, I didn't uh, Rennes. I didn't even yeah. do that deliberately. It's just hanging out with you. Well, there you the go. Shakespeareanism yeah, is, yeah. is rubbing off on me. It does. I, I think it, it does. is. Yeah. Uh, it's really interesting this one because uh, Rennes have tooled up for a run at the Champions League as always over the last couple of seasons um, they've been quite active in the market but a poor start to the season um, and Bruno Genesio their coach has left it looked like he was going to be fired um, but in fact they weren't going to fire him he obviously got wind that they were going to fire him and thought right to hell with this I'm off and they have brought back his predecessor in what's almost a Serie A-esque move Julian Stefan who had a good start there interesting young coach um, before sort of burning out, then went off to Strasbourg where he didn't do such a, a great job. This really, Nick's little spell, will make or break his reputation because he's got a squad full of very exciting players who really underachieved so far this season. They need to get a good home win here. He needs to hit the ground running, uh, Stefan. And a, a lot of the fans are quite sad that Genesio is gone. Um, he brought exciting football to Roson Park and he also... 
um, got them into Europe every season as, as well, which was definitely a step on for the club. Now, when we're talking about the coaches, of course, we have to talk about Rons and we have to talk about Will Still, who, is, as well as being everyone's favourite um, Anglo-Francophone or other way around, um, the way he can switch between the languages like like a native in the training sessions is obviously a joy to behold. But he's a really interesting coach as well. And when they've, they, you look at the fact they've lost following Balogun um, in, in, in the interseason um, and he went off to Monaco. And uh, yet still, they're overachieving. There is going to come a point where someone's going to take away Will Still. Uh, maybe in the next year, Year and a half, maybe even less. Maybe maybe next season. He's going to be up for some big jobs soon because he's West a Ham. really enterprising, interesting coach. West Ham. What, just make it a younger ginger in yeah. charge? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that could, that could be the plan. In the meantime, he while he's still in France, what he needs to do is avail himself of what Jonathan Johnson tells me is the ultimate delicacy in Brittany, and especially when you go to a game at, at Rennes. Um, it's a, 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 a galette saucisse. So Gallet is kind of like a pancake sort of business wrapped around a sausage. I mean, what more could anyone want, right? A baguette. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and David, uh, game of the week? Yeah, of course. So I'm going for a little bit of a antipasto. So before like the, the before you, the before the big one in Italy like this weekend. The way you start with the food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, of course. yeah. So so yeah, the antipasto is actually the game. So on Saturday, five o'clock, we've got Napoli versus Atlanta. Um, which I think is a really intriguing game because if you look at the Serie A table right now, I think from about 4th down to about 10th, 12th, it's still very, very tight. So I know Inter and Juve is having their own little private battle. If you look at the rest of the league, it's honestly, you drop points one week, somebody else is catching you up. So yeah, I'm just uh, looking at that. I think that they can both still put a bit of pressure. They might still fancy themselves as well for, uh, you know, not just Champions League places, but maybe a little uh, title run as well, both of them. What, what, what time is that on? That's on five o'clock on Saturday. Under Volta Mazzari as well. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Uh, the return uh, I mean, in Volta Mazzari. The, the question, maybe you can reveal for us, David, will Hamzik and Cavani be starting at the weekend? <laughs> bring them back. <laughs> bring so, bring it, them back. And, and what are we going to eat? The anti-pasto for the anti Yeah, the, an, the anti-pasto. So we're going to go for a like, nice little fresh bruschetta. Some nice fresh tomato on there as well. A little mozzarella on the side as well. We'll really jazz it up. Nice and healthy. We'll live forever eating the Italian way, apparently. Anyway, thank you for listening to On The Continent. Make sure that you join us again tomorrow for Ask OTC, where we'll be answering all of your questions about the latest news from the world of European football. And do make sure to subscribe in your podcast app so that you never miss an episode. On the Continent is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl. Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.